Well, it was five years ago, June 23rd, 2018, when a soccer team of young boys and their coach from Thailand decided to go exploring in a cave after practice. So they went in this cave and shortly after an early monsoon rain came in the area and it ended up flooding the entire cave system, trapping this team of boys two and a half miles deep in the cave away from the entrance with no possible way out. Now, if you think about your own life, there are situations you're gonna face that are sometimes just difficult. You know, you just gotta push through, but you're gonna make it. There's some situations that are just complicated. You gotta get a lot of input, you gotta get feedback, but ultimately you just gotta make a decision and live with it. There's some situations that are just downright painful. Like you're gonna be hurting, you're gonna need some healing, but you're gonna make it to the other side. But there are a few times in your life when you will face a legitimate, impossible situation. You actually will not have what is required to solve the problem. And you will actually need outside intervention to get through to the other side. Now, if you're just joining us today, I'll catch you up. We just started a series in the last couple of weeks we've been calling Dangerous Ideas. And just to kind of give you a little bit of background in this whole thing, what we're basically saying is that whether they are true or false, whether they are good or evil, ideas are what ultimately shape our world. It's ideas that lead to inventions, they lead to relationships, they lead to the decisions in your life, and ultimately they shape what becomes the entire direction and outcome of your own life. And for better or for worse, the ideas that become mainstream in our culture will determine the outcome of our very human society. So because that's the case, we've been kind of talking about how we really believe good ideas can come from anywhere, any person, any place. But we've been making an argument the last couple of weeks that the best ideas for humanity are actually Christian. Now, you do not have to agree with me yet. You can totally disagree. You're welcome to do that. But we're hoping to make a case these coming weeks, and this is how we've been saying it. The most powerful ideas for human flourishing, cultural renewal, and life itself come from Christianity. Now, what we've also been saying, though, is that the world is not going to change ultimately from imposing political force. It's not going to come from waging culture wars. It's not even going to come from eliminating any type of opposition. It's actually going to come. True transformation world will come from Christians living these ideas out in compelling, sacrificial, and courageous ways. And today, I want to talk about an idea that Jesus himself introduced into the world. This idea was so earth-shattering that it completely transformed the way anybody has ever viewed how a relationship with God actually works. Completely changed everything about it. And I'm going to be in a passage today in John chapter 3. If you want to follow along, I'm going to start right in verse 1. It says this, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who's come from God. For no one could perform the signs of that you are doing if God were not with him. So let me lay a little groundwork here. We get introduced to this character named Nicodemus, and we're told that he's a member of this ruling council. 
Now, this was actually a 70-member council of the most powerful and influential leaders across the entire Jewish nation. This is like the Jewish Supreme Court. And Nicodemus would have been somebody who would have the first five books of the entire Bible memorized word for word, and then some. Not only that, Nicodemus was kind of special because we see some, from some extra-biblical sources that he was actually the youngest member the Sanhedrin had ever had, this council. Not only that, Nicodemus was kind of famous because he was known as one of the top three wealthiest people in the entire city of Jerusalem. So much so that there's an account that says Nicodemus could have paid for every single person's food in Jerusalem for 10 years straight without even breaking a sweat. This guy had money. And so just to get a picture of Nicodemus, he is an Ivy League educated, powerful, influential, even spiritually devoted man, semi-famous even in some way. And he would be one of the most powerful and influential people Jesus would ever encounter in his entire life here on earth. And so in the beginning of this conversation, Nicodemus kind of starts with a little bit of flattery, a little buttering Jesus up. He's like, hey, rabbi, I'll call you rabbi. We, couldn't, we cannot deny what we're seeing happen in your life. This is pretty incredible. Now, what a perfect opportunity for Jesus. Because right in this moment, he could be like, thank you, Nicodemus. It's about time somebody started appreciating what I got going on, somebody of influence. Imagine how much Nicodemus could help Jesus cause. Imagine getting Nicodemus in your pocket. This guy can vouch for him with the ruling council of the entire nation. You see how deep pockets this guy has? He could totally change the game for Jesus. And yet Jesus doesn't tap into any of the flattery. He doesn't take the bait. He takes the reins of the entire conversation, and he's about to pull the bottom Jenga block out of Nicodemus' brain. Look what Jesus says to him after Nicodemus' opening comments. I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Look at Nicodemus. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. To which all the women said, praise the Lord. <laughs> My goodness. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. Now, if you're feeling confused, do not feel bad at all. Because Nicodemus is like, what are you even talking about, Jesus? I'm trying to have a nice, friendly conversation. You're just saying all this crazy stuff. He didn't even get it. Now, there is some terminology, though, that Nicodemus would be tracking with. Jesus talks about this idea of the kingdom of God. Now, this was a term used to talk about God's perfect rule and reign that would bring about the renewal of all creation. If you read through the Old Testament, you see these little prophecies about this Messiah figure coming in and ushering in this integration of heaven and earth, the total transformation of the world. And so Nicodemus and all these other people would be really hoping for this to happen. They were waiting for it. They were feverishly expecting this and wondering, what Jesus might be about with all these things. But Jesus introduces a radically dangerous idea, earth shattering. It has changed human history forever. And what Jesus says to Nicodemus is the only way in is to be born again. Now you see how confused Nicodemus is. He's hearing this language for the first time, born again. 
What does that even mean? Jesus starts talking about these two different types of births. He says water and spirit. Now, it's kind of funny that he talks about this water birth because we even use this language today. We talk about somebody's water breaking, right? We know that whole language. I still remember when Nicole was pregnant with our second child, our daughter Brinley. And I cannot believe I'm telling you this story right now because I'm about to lose so much credibility with our church. So can I get a bunch of grace right now? I need an umbrella of grace right now in this moment. So Nicole's pregnant with our daughter. She is nine months pregnant. She is hitting her due date. It is 11 p.m. on a Wednesday night. And Nicole hits me away. She says, babe, I think my water just broke. And me, being her husband, knowing that she was nine months pregnant with a child, knowing that any moment she could give birth to my precious daughter, I said, babe, are you sure you didn't just wet yourself? Because it's 11 p.m. on a Wednesday night. I want to go back to bed. And 20 minutes later, I was watching our daughter be born at the hospital. And right after that, we had my funeral right there, too. (laughs) I've never been able to live that one down. (laughs) So, Jesus, water birth, physical birth, we get that, all right? Check that box. We understand. But he says, then there is this born of the spirit concept, born again. That's the confusing one. What does that even mean? Now, I need you guys to come down the rabbit hole with me. This is the thick part of the sermon, but track with me. This is kind of interesting. Jesus, at another point in his life, when he was teaching, he said this in Matthew 19. Truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, renewal, keyword, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne. That word renewal can actually be translated new genesis or new beginning. It even can be translated new birth. Now, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God right here. He is talking about that moment when the full realization of all of God's plans for human history will come together and he will bring heaven and earth together, fully integrated. Now, Paul was a writer in the New Testament, and he borrows this concept from Jesus to talk about our very lives. Look what Paul says in Titus 3. He, talking about God, saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. The same word that Jesus uses for the renewal of the entire universe is used for us. So what does it mean to be born again? It means that the cosmos transforming, the world changing power of God that will renew all things begins in our very lives. The renewal plan God has for everything in the future happens in the here and now in you. This is earth shattering. This is category redefining. This changes everything about how we view what a relationship with God looks like. And this is actually very dangerous. You know why this is dangerous? Think about who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to Nicodemus. This guy is a physical descendant of Abraham. Jews would believe that was an automatic genetic ticket right into the kingdom of God. You're in. No questions asked. Not only that, he's a Pharisee, part of the ruling council. 
This guy checks the moral, spiritual ticket completely. Not only that, just this little icing on the cake, some sprinkles. He's rich, he's powerful, he's famous. Check that box too, why not? This man has attained the highest levels of spiritual, moral, academic, and social standing you could possibly attain. Anybody looking at Nicodemus would be like, if anybody's getting in, that dude's getting in. (laughs) He's getting a fast pass, actually. Nobody would question whether Nicodemus would get access to the kingdom of God one day. Not even Nicodemus himself. And yet Jesus is looking this man right in the face. And he says, Nicodemus, with the way you're living, with the ideas you have about how this works, you're not getting in. You will not enter. Everything you think that qualifies you for God's approval, for his favor, for access to his very presence is completely wrong. Now, one thing I love doing is actually just having just random conversations with people about God and spiritual things. I just find it so interesting because everybody has so many different perspectives and I love to hear where people are just coming from. But one conversation I really like to have with people is just, hey, what do you think happens after this life? Like, what do you really think happens? Because I'm sure a lot of you in here, you're very confident about what it's going to look like, but you actually have no idea. You got no idea. You've never had a friend die and a couple years later come back and be like, hey, I got all the tea on heaven. This is what it looks like. Here's how it's going to be. Nobody knows. We really don't. And so when I have these conversations, it's kind of interesting because I'll have some people say, you know, Brian, I kind of feel like everybody's just going to get in. It's going to kind of just work out. You know, God's going to do all of us a solid. I have other friends who are like, you know, probably nothing happens. You know, this is just life and live it to the fullest. And and that's what it is. I'll have some people kind of say, you know, there probably is some sort of alternate spiritual state. I don't even know, but I'm sure it's going to kind of happen that way. And most people I even talk to, they're, they're like, you know, Brian, I don't even really know. And actually, I don't even really care. I'm just going to keep living my life and hope for the best. Now, it'd be easy to say, that's just a great approach. Let's just respect everybody's beliefs. Let's just allow people to, again, believe whatever they want to believe and just love each other and all that. It's just one problem with that approach. Jesus. You see, he's basically saying, this is not exactly something you just want to shrug off. This is not something you just want to hope for the best for. It's not something that's just going to kind of work itself out. He says, you're not getting in unless you meet one single critical criteria. You need to be born again. Now, I still remember right when Nicole and I started dating, I had a wedding to do. And I, the couple said, hey, you can bring a plus one. So I brought Nicole. And after I finished this wedding, we drove by this super swanky country club. And it had a giant sign right on the fence that said, members only. Which to me, I read as, try to break in here and have a really good time. That's how I interpreted that sign. So I looked at Nicole in the car. I said, babe, I got a suit on. You got a nice dress. We look like members. Let's go have some fun. So I pull up to this gate at this country club in my 1998 Mazda Protégé. 
praise the Lord. And somehow I looked at the guy at the gate and I kind of gave him that look like, hey, dude, sorry, the Corvette's in the shop. You know, the Audi's kind of broken right now. So I was like, we kind of just need to get in. I kind of gave him one of those looks. And he's like, he kind of gave the shrug and he lets us in. So we made it for, through the first gate. And I'm like, Nicole, just act like you belong. Just play the part. And, you know, you always need a rule follower in the relationship because the entire time Nicole's like, I hate this. I hate this. I hate this. I'm not having any fun. This is terrible. But I just walked around like, hey, this is our place. And like all the butlers are like giving me deferential bows and nods and everything and asking what we want. And we made it all the way to the patio of the swanky golf course for this thing and enjoyed a perfectly free night at the members only club that we had no business being in. I actually even have evidence of our illegal escapades of Nicole and I making it there in the golf course. Okay. I had to get a picture for photo evidence. Now, here's what I thought was so funny about this experience. Not a single person, not a single employee came up to Nicole and I and said, hey, do you guys belong here? Are you supposed to be here? And they probably just thought we were some maybe trust fund kids just spending all their parents' money or something. I don't know what they were thinking, but we didn't have a single person try to kick us out of this place. And the reason I tell you that story is I feel like that's how a lot of people think about the kingdom of God. That's all they think about heaven. That's how they think about eternal life. We think, you know what? I'm probably just going to squeak my way in. And I'm just going to pull up to the gate, give the guy a nod, whoever it is, at the gates of heaven. And it's just going to be good. It's just going to kind of work itself out. Now, this is the issue with that thought process. Jesus had a perfect opportunity with Nicodemus in this moment to say, dude, you're killing it, man. You're like 94% there. Just keep doing what you're doing. You know, here's a couple self-help books. Have you tried paleo? Maybe a little bit of yoga? That'll kind of round you out a little bit. And by the way, I know the guy upstairs. I'll, I'll, I'll call in a favor, man. We got this, okay? Don't even worry about it. No, Jesus could not be more clear. He says emphatically, you can't get yourself in. Look at how clear this language is. I don't want us to miss this. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. No one can even see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, if you've actually been in church for any length of time, maybe you even haven't been, you might actually be kind of familiar with this born again concept. You guys know this actually kind of has a bad reputation in the world. It kind of is a nuclear word because you'll hear people say, oh, those born again types. Yeah, those are not my people. Those are like the pushy, radical, extreme kind of Christians who just like won't leave you alone. And then we kind of think about, oh, the born again Christian stuff, that's for people who really need religion. That's for like the desperate people. That's for the convicts. That's for the addicts. That's for the people who get their lives in the gutter. They're the ones who need like the born again type of experience. You know, they need religion to cling on to for help. And you might even be thinking here, okay, you know, I'm a pretty decent person. You know, you're holding down a job. You're paying your taxes. You don't even flip off the person who cuts you off in traffic. You have amazing self-control. You're an amazing human being. But Jesus, all of this says, whatever merits you think you've accumulated, whatever goodwill you think you have with God, whatever karma you think is working in your favor, you will not enter. It's not just difficult. It's not just painful or complicated. It is impossible. Looking at a man who is beyond wealthy, 
who is beyond religious, who has attained all levels of success beyond, far beyond what any of us have ever experienced and probably will. And even Nicodemus is told, it's impossible for you. If it's impossible for him, it's definitely impossible for us. And at this moment, Nicodemus's entire Jenga tower falls down. And ours should too. Jesus is trying to help him though. He understands Nicodemus is struggling here. And so he starts to unpack what this looks like. Look at verse six. Jesus explains, flesh gives birth to flesh. Great, we got that part. But the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Okay, so Jesus is like, let me, let me simplify this. There's a physical reality and there's a spiritual reality of life. He's saying, this should not surprise you, Nicodemus. Basic theology. But then he gives an illustration to try to help him. He uses this illustration of wind. Now, if anybody can appreciate a good wind analogy, it is Coloradans. We know something about wind. Because if you've lived here long enough, you've had that experience. You're sitting on your patio or your porch, and it's a perfectly sunny day, blue, clear skies. It's amazing. And before you know it, Hurricane Katrina is blowing through your entire backyard. And your cushions are going everywhere. Your furniture gets blown all over the place. My record at the moment, I don't know if someone can top this, my lawn furniture has made it four houses away from my house. That's my going record. So I'm just used to going in my neighbor's fence to grab my couch cushions for the backyard. Now, Jesus uses this as an interesting illustration for the work of God. And he's actually doing a little bit of a play on words. Because throughout the Bible, in both Hebrew and Greek, the languages the Bible's written in, the word that he uses for wind is the same word for spirit. It's the same word for breath. So as you read the Bible, you'll see these moments where it talks about God breathing life into people. You'll hear these comments about like the winds of the spirit happening. And this is what Jesus is trying to point to. Wind has a mysterious dynamic to it. You can't see where it's coming from. You can't see where it's going. It's invisible, but it has an undeniable impact when it comes into your life. And just like wind blowing through your backyard and throwing furniture all over the place, the wind of the spirit, the work of God is something that you can't control. You can't even see where it's coming from. But when it comes into your life, it leaves an undeniable impact on you. Now, some of you in here, you would say, Brian, that's exactly what my life with God has felt like. You're just going around living your life, minding your own business, and it felt like the wind blew through your spiritual life. Like, like truly, you had no control over it, and you would just say, God just came in, and he started blowing the furniture of my life all over the place, and it changed everything. So Jesus says, you have to be born again. You have no control over it. It is like trying to catch the wind. But he's got some good news. There is someone who can. There's someone who can control that wind. And there's someone who can get you in. Jesus goes on unpacking this whole concept of Nicodemus and he ends this conversation with a massive truth bomb. Verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone 
who believes may have eternal life in him. Jesus points back to an event recorded in the Old Testament. Moses is leading the nation of Israel out of slavery to the promised land. But at one point, these people start griping and complaining towards God because of the whole experience. And God starts to lose his patience a little bit. They're getting a little testy with him. So he actually brings these snakes into the camp that start biting people and people even start dying. There's an outbreak of snakes. Some of you, that's your absolute worst nightmare, right? Just snakes everywhere. And God is using this though as a way for them to understand their sin situation. This is a tangible expression of what is going on in their lives. And they can't deal with the snakes. So God does something strange. He says, you know what I want you to do? I want you to build a bronze image of a snake. Put it together. And he gives them one simple command. Numbers 21. Look at it and live. Don't touch it. Don't say anything to it. There's no other piece of this formula other than just looking at it. And this was meant to be an act of faith for these people. It was an expression of their trust and belief in a healing and renewing God. And anybody who looked on that snake was healed in that moment. And Jesus uses this event as a way to illustrate what he was talking about himself. He said, the son of man, the Messiah, the one who's going to usher in this kingdom is going to be lifted up in the same way. Now, right at this moment, I'm thinking Nicodemus was like, yeah, absolutely. He's going to be lifted up on a throne and he's going to rule and reign. He's going to take over and change things. That's what's about to happen. And the conversation is over. We don't get another word from Nicodemus. He fades into the background of Jesus's life. Don't hear from him again. But a few years later, Nicodemus surfaces again. He gets called into a room very early in the morning one day from this council. They say, we have an emergency meeting. You need to be there. And he shows up. There's all this commotion. And a man gets dragged in who's shackled and handcuffed. And immediately Nicodemus looks at this guy and realizes it's the same person he had the conversation with that one night many years before. It was Jesus. And these men start beating him. They start spitting on him. And this very council that Nicodemus was a part of voted to have Jesus crucified like a criminal. And Nicodemus would have been present through all this. He would have seen Jesus flogged and beaten and tortured. And he would have seen that moment when nails were driven through Jesus's hands and feet. And then there would be a moment in this entire nightmare where Nicodemus would watch Jesus get lifted up, but not on a throne. He'd be lifted up on a cross. And in that moment, Nicodemus would remember some words from a conversation he had a few years before. He'd be looking at Jesus on that cross thinking, the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. The wind started to blow in Nicodemus's life. He didn't see it coming, but we see the impact that it had because after Jesus was killed, 
Nicodemus pops up again. John 19, it says later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by who? Nicodemus. The man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. These are the things that you read in the Bible and you kind of pass over. You're like, cool, okay, they buried Jesus. Like, I'll keep reading. But you got to see, this is a profound moment. Because crucified people were tossed in the trash. Literally. You just threw the body in a dump. It was over. But Nicodemus and Joseph did something very dangerous. This would have made the council furious. They gave Jesus a proper burial. A burial fit for a king. And they placed him in that tomb. But what they didn't realize was that this tomb wasn't exactly a permanent residence. This is more like an Airbnb situation for Jesus. Because Nicodemus would hear three days later that this tomb was actually empty to his shock. And there's some amazing church tradition around Nicodemus's life. Church tradition tells us that this entire experience brought about a renewal in Nicodemus's life, so much so that he would go on to be baptized by Peter and John, some of Jesus' closest disciples. Not only that, he would be tortured by this very council that he's a part of and expelled from it. And it got so bad that he would even be kicked out of the city of Jerusalem itself, completely expelled. And tradition tells us that Nicodemus would go on to give all of his wealth away to support this early fledgling movement that would become Christianity. Now, what would lead a man like Nicodemus to give it all up? What would lead a guy like that to throw it all away? Well, the wind of the Spirit started to come into his life. He didn't see it coming, but the effects were undeniable. You see, Nicodemus was born again. So these boys on the soccer team were trapped in this cave. People had no idea where they were, didn't know how to find them. And it was nine days later when a diver, after six hours of swimming in this cave, found these boys and their coach right there in the cave, every single one of them alive. It's this incredible discovery. In this moment, this diver is so excited. He's getting ready to make the six-hour swim back to the entrance where they have to somehow get these boys. But he gives them one single word before he leaves them to go find help. He tells these boys, believe. Believe. And it was 10,000 people. A hundred divers, a hundred government agencies, 900 police officers, 2,000 soldiers, 10 helicopters, seven ambulances, 700 diving sailors, and 1 billion liters of water that had to be pumped. But through this entire journey, every single one of those boys and their coach were rescued alive. That's a good spot to clap. We can celebrate that moment. That's pretty cool. It's amazing. Now, the reason I even tell you this story is because it illustrates so well what Jesus is trying to communicate to Nicodemus. Every single one of us 
is hopelessly lost. We might as well be two and a half miles deep in a cave when it comes to the state of our souls. But this is also a perfect picture of what it actually means to be born again, to come to a new life, to come into the light because it was through the sacrifice of literally tens of thousands of people to save these boys. But it was through the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus that we're able to be made alive again too. Because you see, Jesus was lifted up on that cross. He was crucified. He was killed so you could be born again. So you could be made alive. So you could enter into the kingdom of God eternal life itself. So we must answer a very important question today. This is critical. How do you know if you've been born again? If this is the most important thing, how do you know that? If this is one criteria, it's, it's, it's a good idea to be aware of what it looks like. Now we could go in a bunch of different directions, but I think there's at least three foundational things. These are absolutely things you'll see in any newborn experience. The first thing that will happen is you will believe. You'll have a moment where you believe. You'll have a realization, oh, this has nothing to do with my own merit. This has nothing to do with my own morality. This isn't about my good intentions. This is about Jesus. This is about what he accomplished on the cross, that he died in my place and rose again. You will believe that Jesus is so much more than any good teacher or historical figure, even just man. So I'm wondering, what do you believe about Jesus today? Because that will be the first thing. Jesus said, when I'm lifted up, anyone who believes will be able to enter. That's the first criteria. But as we said, anytime wind blows through your life, the impact is undeniable. So if you have a genuine belief, it will do something to your life. And the first thing you'll see is you will develop a spiritual appetite. Look at 1 Peter 2. It says, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. You know, we did child dedications today, so I know some of you parents know this, but anybody who's had a baby, have you ever like held a bottle by a baby's face? It's like there's drugs in that bottle. They are like, give me the bottle. Like they are starving for it. I mean, they just want it. They're ravenous because they have an appetite. They're like, give me some of that nutrition. And this is what Peter's saying. When you have a new birth experience, you are like a newborn baby. You are going to want spiritual nourishment in your life. You're going to be hungry for it. So I'm wondering, do you have a spiritual appetite? Are you hungry for the things of God? Because that is a sign of somebody who has been born again. You have a new spiritual life. But it's not even just the appetite. You will also produce spiritual fruit. Look at Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you have been born again, you will start to grow. And you will start to produce the results of the Spirit's work in your life. You will not be perfect, but you will be progressing. And for any of you who do have a relationship with Jesus, hopefully you can point back over maybe the last couple of years of your life or since you were saved and be able to say, you know what? I'm not as irritable as I used to be. I'm still irritable, but not as much. You know, there's actually a little bit more joy kind of in my life. I actually even have some self-control over some bad habits and even addictions that I used to have in the past. Not perfect, but you see progress. That is definitely a sign of a new birth in somebody's life. So I got to ask you today, have you been born again? 
Have you experienced the spiritual birth that Jesus is talking about? Now, I know some of you in here to be like, Brian, you're not going to be able to push me into this in one sermon, all right? <laughs> this is my first time showing up at the church. You can't sell me that quickly. and I totally get it. Don't take my words for it. Look at Jesus' words. You will not enter unless you have been born again. And for any of you in here where you're like, Brian, I still need to go on that journey. I need to just explore it some more. We actually have a free gift you can leave with today. It's a simple little booklet called Following Jesus. There's actually a QR code with a link to a website that has podcasts, YouTube videos, websites where you can just explore the person of Jesus and see some more of his claims and things like that. There's no strings attached. We won't ask you for your name, your email, whatever. They're right at the kiosk when you walk out. The prayer team will have them at the front. Just take one our free gift for you today. If you want to take these, maybe you have a friend you think this would help take one for them too. So that's our gift to you. But I want to talk to one group of people here before we close today. One group. I want to talk to anybody in here who would say, you know what, Brian, I have been born again. I would call myself a Christian. I would call myself a follower of Jesus. I want to talk to that one group of people today. If you're one of those. You can see from Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus that there is something absolutely essential to our lives. And it's this, the greatest need anyone has is always spiritual. Your greatest need is not money right now. Your greatest need is not a physical thing. Your greatest need is not even just psychological or your mental health. It is spiritual. The most important thing for anybody's life is, have you been born again? Now, if that is the case, I'm talking to the Christians now. Why are we so often more upset by things that are so much less important in other people's lives? Some of us in here, you are more concerned about who somebody voted for in the last election than whether they're getting into the kingdom of God. Some of you in here, you are more bent out of shape about how your neighbor maintains their lawn than whether they actually have eternal life. Some of you guys here, you get more flustered by how somebody drives or what they're posting on social media than whether they have experienced the life-changing power of Jesus. Jesus makes this very clear. There is only one thing that truly matters. Everything else is secondary. Have you been born again? You need new life in Christ. People are two and a half miles deep in a cave when it comes to their souls. This should be the most urgent thing for you if you're a follower of Jesus. Who are the people in your life that have not been born again? And before we start fussing about anything else in anybody else's life, this has to be your greatest passion. Spurgeon is a well-known pastor from many years ago. He said this, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. 
When was the last time you were bothered by the fact that somebody wasn't saved? When was the last time you wept over the fact that somebody in your life is not entering the kingdom of God? If you're really born again, your heart will ache for the Nicodemuses in your life and you will be desperate to see them experience a new birth, a renewal in their own lives. I'm wondering today, do you believe this dangerous idea? Are you willing to bet your life on it? Are you willing to bet your eternity on it? If you're not a Christian in this place right now, I'll tell you, the most important thing in your life right now is, have you been born again? That is the most important thing. And I'll tell you right now, if you feel any urgency about this right now, do not ignore that wind blowing through your life. Open yourself up to the love and presence of Jesus. It's gonna feel dangerous. It's gonna feel scary. You're not gonna understand how it all works, but do not resist that wind blowing through your life. That is the work of God. And for the Christians in this room, you need to know, we all have a call to live dangerously, to bring the life of Jesus to everybody around us who has not yet experienced new birth. Because the greatest hope we have to see renewal in our own lives, to see transformation in the world, to get people out of the cave of darkness is for people to be born again. Will you all pray with me? Lord, I thank you so much that you do not pander to us. Jesus, you make it very clear. This is the most important thing. We need to be born again. So I thank you for the clarity of this truth, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, for the wind of your work to continue to blow through our lives, to transform us, to renew us, Lord, as you bring your kingdom in our very hearts, and as you work it out in this world. And right now, you may be in this room and you would just be honest and say, Brian, I don't think I've been born again. It just, I haven't seen it happen. You can do that today. You can reach out to Jesus. You can open your life to him. He says, anyone who believes will be given eternal life. And so right now, I wanna challenge you to pray to Jesus. If you feel any inclination, if you feel any tug toward him right now, say, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, make me born again. Jesus, give me new life. Jesus, give me everything you want for me. And I pray for anybody reaching out to you right now, Lord, that you would confirm it in their hearts. You'd give them a fresh appetite, Lord, that you would completely transform them and start to bring out the very fruit of your presence in their lives. Lord, I pray for salvations in this room. I pray for salvations online, Lord. I pray that you would transform people's lives today in Jesus' name, Lord. But I also, God, I ask right now, that we would be a church that would not die on secondary hills, things that are so insignificant in the grand scheme of eternity, Lord. I pray we would be a church that is about the kingdom of God, that is about seeing people born again, Lord. I pray that would be our greatest passion and we would never compromise that commitment for anything else, Lord. So Lord, burn in our hearts for the lost. Give us a passion, Father, and let us see an outpouring of new births in our community and in our world. And I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. 
You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.